Well, good day and welcome to another episode here of the Disaster Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Davis, the pod medic, and I'm excited to bring another great episode here for you tonight. Um, We've got a really interesting discussion coming up here, and I can't wait to get to it. But before we can do that, we have to bring in our co-host, Sam Bradley, who does so much to schedule these amazing guests and get us these topics for discussion. So, uh, Sam, how are you doing? I'm doing good, and you just you flattered me, Jamie. I think I'm blushing, but you know all of this wouldn't be possible without Dr. Joe Holly, and he's out there too. Hi, Joe. Hey guys, good to be on with you, and uh, hope everybody's doing well. Well, and we hope that uh, you know Memphis isn't floating away or <laughs> any of the other things that have been going on there. Till the uh, next. Quite a, bit of, quite a bit of rain in the last week and some uh, colder weather coming our way along with the midsection of the country and the east coast as well. We've got a, got a pretty cold uh, uh, time ahead of us, I think. Yeah, it looks like the, the east and the south is going to take the brunt of this next one. We have an interesting guest today, uh, gentlemen. He's She's uh, someone who was recommended to me by my physician friend K.K. Panja, who I've known for quite a long time, as has she, and uh, they've been kind of working together on on her ability to educate other people on some of the things she's learned. So, Cody, we're going to jump right in. Tell us about yourself, um, your initial career, and I got to say something, preface this with, you know, I think it's a true story that we all go into this. When we get into EMS, we have this sense of invulnerability. It's like, okay, we're the caregivers, so stuff doesn't happen to us. Well, that certainly wasn't the case with you. So let's start with your initial career, how you got started in EMS, and then we'll go from there. As you said, I'm uh, Cody, and I uh, I started Dreaming of being an EMS when I was a little kid or, or dreaming actually of being a firefighter when I was five. And I grew up, I got into a youth program very early on, got straight into the fire academy after high school and went straight into both my fire and my EMS career from there. And as you said, I was um, invulnerable and unstoppable and stuff didn't happen to us. And then unfortunately in 2009, I was playing ice hockey with some other members in emergency services and playing on a rec league. I took a hit and went head first into the board and broke my neck. And that, that changed my life. I was at that time suffered immediate paralysis. Um, it was partial. It was an incomplete injury. Um, but it ended my it ended my career right away, and what I'd been dreaming of since I was a little kid. So, how many years were you into your career at this point? I had only been on the line for about six and a half years, but in that six and a half years, I had worked uh, fire. I had worked for a small ambulance um, company in a rural agency. And I'd also worked as a law enforcement dispatcher and I'm one call taker. I kind of dabbled in, in every aspect of emergency services, except for being a cop. Well, your dad was a cop, wasn't he? 
<laughs> my dad was a cop. Yep. Like I grew up as a cop's kid and, and, uh, we always had that ongoing fun banter that I went to the dark side and, uh, became a firefighter. Well, if it, we were firefighters, kid, they say the same thing. Um, yep, exactly. But, you know, so here you are. I mean, it's hard enough having an injury on the job, but having an injury that, that makes your career basically not possible. Um, how did that affect you? I mean, it it flipped my world upside down, and my whole identity had been in being both a cop's kid and then being a firefighter myself. That was pretty much all I did with my life was I worked for multiple different agencies. Um, and all of a sudden I was on the receiving end of it and I didn't know what to do with myself. I didn't know who I was aside from working in emergency services. And then on top of that, there was honestly the financial aspect of it. I had just worked long enough to qualify for disability years later, but I had not set myself up financially for anything to happen to myself because I was young and unstoppable. Exactly. And and then, trust me, I totally appreciate what you're saying. Joe, this issue of identity is kind of a big one. We get ourselves so wrapped up in, in what we do as who we are um, it, it, it's it's a mind blower when that goes away. Oh, I think there's no question about it. You know, it, it it's for many of us that are passionate about what we do, but particularly in EMS, uh, it, it does become very much our persona. Uh, and uh, obviously, when you have a, a significant life changing event like uh, like we're talking about here. It, it really puts very special challenges on the, the the person that that's happened to to begin to move past the this is who I am to I'm a person and that's what I did and now I'm going to do something different and, and you know how do you how do you process through that it, it's a phenomenally challenging uh, and difficult experience. Jamie, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I was just thinking to sort of, you know, the same things, same thoughts that Joe had, that that, that identity of, especially in, in emergency services, um, whether whether you're a police officer, a firefighter, a paramedic, a, uh, you know, a dispatcher, um, we're so defined by how we interact with the public and help people and, and, and bring them assistance or provide them care. And, you know, that, that, that feeling that we get from that does so much to help us justify the sacrifices we make when we, we go into that kind of profession that it can be difficult to read. I would imagine, I don't know for sure, but I, I hope Cody can help us understand that it, it would be very difficult. I would imagine to, to restructure that, that self image in our minds of who we are. So how did well, you do? I, well, I was going to interrupt you. Um, I can say that so many years later, what has been difficult and is still difficult is now 
to not be defined as a patient, to not be defined by my different diagnoses and what those mean in my life. And so much emphasis is put on that because being sick or ill or injured becomes a full-time job in itself. Um, as I told you in my email, I see over 10 medical professionals a month. Three of them I have to see every week. It becomes a full-time job, and I have to find I have to very consciously seek out my own image and my own definition of who I am in that and make sure that it's not all focused on on the medical aspect of things. But it's hard not to, right? Jamie, you have a comment? Yeah, I, I, I just takes me back to something that I, I learned in nursing school was to make sure we didn't define our patients by their diagnosis. And, you know, you are not a diabetic. You are a person with diabetes, um, person first, di- diagnosis second. And I think that that's something that healthcare professionals can learn um, is, is, you know, we need to we need to help people make that distinction for themselves and, and, and see themselves as people first and the patient second. Uh, and I hope that, does that sound like something that you've found helpful, Cody? Yeah, definitely. And even just, uh, I, I learned that also as a care provider when I was providing for other people, but to learn it for yourself, to find your own identity outside of a diagnosis can be hard and can take, like I said, a very conscious effort to realize the parts of my personality, of my life, and of my lifestyle that are not directly related to my diagnosis. And my different diagnoses, they play into everything, but it it's a matter of it being a part of my life, not being my life. Amen. Joe? Uh, Cody, could you could you share with us some of your techniques and insights that you've gained on, on how to make that transition or that enhancement to your to your life? Well, I will say that when we were talking about our identity being in emergency services, I do take such pride in that and in what I did um, and staying involved in emergency services after my injury that we talk about, you know, people first language. I use terms such as being medically, medically retired versus being disabled um, or that, that I no longer am because I am very proud of, of what I did and the job that I did and of my brotherhood and being a part of that family. And I'm, I'm very proud of that identity. One of the things that I do now, though, is I'm actually coming out of a period of my life right now where I've been in total survival mode. I was in some situations, living situations and medical situations that had me in survival mode. And as I come out of that, I'm taking some very conscious efforts to see myself such as uh, I really enjoy outdoor activities, really enjoy uh, rock climbing and ice climbing, 
and mountain biking. And those aren't activities that I can physically do right now, but I've gone back to just going to the climbing gym with my roommates and realizing that that's a part of my life. And that's another part of my identity that I enjoy and that I'm proud of and another community that I enjoy being in. So after a, a day of, honestly, it's been a day full of uh, medical appointments and emergency room visits to deal with some stuff. It's important that I sit down and play a game of cards with my roommates and just be that, be that human versus everything being focused on the medical aspect. And, and it, it had to be hard to get there. I'm sure you had a whole lot of, of, of mental health ups and downs during that period of time, especially in the beginning when you weren't sure what the eventual outcome would be and what you'd be able to do, right? Right. It was, you know, it, it's kind of hard to remember exactly what it looked like. I was, I was blessed that I had tremendous support around me both from uh, people within the emergency services family and um, also my, my personal, uh, my personal friends that came alongside me, but it really went straight from that identity of working nonstop. I mean, I was young and single with no family. So I would just work shift after shift after shift at different places and it's what I enjoyed doing to go from that to uh, being in a chair and being being chair bound um, for for eight years. I was at least a part time military user, and majority of that full time military user. There were many lonely nights of laying in bed trying to figure out who I was, what life was going to be where I was going to go with it. And it's not some hallmark story that, that ends up that I, you know, found a new career and, and whatnot. It's still a daily battle and long nights of missing what I had fought for so much. But that's where I think it's important that even when we are on the line and we realize our vulnerability that we're able to live life knowing that this could end or this could change and prioritizing in our life the things and the people that mean the most to us. Oh, that's beautiful. Jamie? Cody, I have a question for you that I hope you can help answer for both me and for um, the the medical professionals in our audience out there. how can we better help someone in your position? How can we better represent what you need from the healthcare team that you deal with? So I, I would say one of the biggest things that affects me from my healthcare providers, and I actually experienced this just last night, is being treated like a human. We talk about the patient first, or the, the patient first diagnosis, second language, but even beyond that, not being a patient, but realizing that I'm a human. 
And that in that, I get worn down. I get tired of dealing with medical things. And I'm, I've become very choosy with who's on my medical team. And I treat it exactly as that, as a team. And in having all the different specialists that I do for different things, I need them to be able to communicate with me on an honest, upfront human basis. And I need them to be able to communicate with each other. And it took me a long time to learn that I'm ultimately the coach of my team and I say who plays and who doesn't. My my doctors can make recommendations to me. My medical professionals can make recommendations to me. But it's ultimately up to me what we do and what we don't do and the decisions that are made with my body. And unfortunately, it took going through some negative experiences where when I grew up, I grew up as an army brat and then as a cop's kid. And when I was an army brat, what the doctor said went, period, end of story. And um, we didn't, you know, you didn't get second opinions. You didn't kick doctors off your team and whatnot. But now I've learned that it really is a team approach. And the biggest thing that I need is just for them to realize that I'm human and treat me with that respect. We can discuss almost anything that you want to discuss, good or bad, having to do with my physical health, having to do with my mental health, because that plays into it in major ways, as long as it's done in a respectful manner, not in a power-driven manner. Well, you had a lot to do with choosing your team. You you actually went through a, a number of doctors, some of which didn't work for you, right? Right. And just one of my most recent um, challenges has been that I, I took a really bad fall about two years ago and shattered my leg. I fell from a balcony. And since that night that I fell, they were discussing amputation as a possibility. And over the last two years, it's come up multiple times. And we, unfortunately, the bottom part of my tibia didn't get good blood flow and it become dead and necrotic. And I, I spent time to interview at least five different renowned orthopedic surgeons before I decided on the one that I went with. And we decided to try this, um, this, ankle replacement and actually an ankle and partial tibial replacement. And I was, it wasn't that I didn't trust the other four. It wasn't that they weren't good in their field, but when you're discussing something of that amplitude, you've, you've got to get the best that you can get to play on that team. And one of the biggest deciding factors on that was that this surgeon looked at my overall quality of life and what quality of life meant to me versus simply the idea of saving my leg. Well, and, and a lot of people are afraid to go against what a doctor says, even if they don't feel comfortable with that. I don't know, Joe, what is, what's your thought on that, Dr. Oh, I, I was just thinking that the, the advice she just gave was some of the best advice I have heard for 
anybody interacting with the medical field. Uh, I, I think nobody is a better advocate for you than you, and uh, people need to be speaking up and uh, letting the medical profession know what is expected of them uh, so that folks who do not meet those standards do not survive in the profession. As well, they shouldn't. I mean, you got to stand up for yourself. So, Cody, who is Cody now? Where um, well, I'm I'm excited. Uh, like I said, I'm, I'm coming out of a period of my life where I've been in survival mode. Um, I unfortunately let myself get into an abusive roommate situation, and that was really affecting uh, my mental and my physical health. And so being being safe from that, I'm I'm excited to do what I'm doing with you guys and be able to share my story and share my my point of view and all of the lessons that I've learned through through the past years of unfortunately being a patient and how I can how I can better help other people with that, really giving it some purpose. And then I, I just try and live I know it sounds cliche, but I try to live every day to its fullest. But that means the small things. That means phone calls to my dad to tell him that I love him or to celebrate good news. That means with all my medical stuff, taking one appointment at a time and making it purposeful and and meaningful. And, you know, it's they're not all what I want to go through. They're not all what I would choose. but I have to choose to make the best of them. And then, like I said, I try to find something every day that's, that's non-medical. Like I said, something simple as playing a game of Uno with my roommates. It's the small, simple things that we do that can make our life better. They can make it more enhanced. It's not going to be some giant aha moment that it's going to change everything. Although, unfortunately, all it takes is that one moment to change everything around. They said the one impact into the wall flipped my life upside down. And I'm nowhere near who or where or what I thought I would be. But I'm proud of what I've come through, the things that I've survived, and like I said, I, I really take a lot of pride in my ability, whether it be sharing with you guys or it be uh, today I found out that my own doctor uh, got a terminal diagnosis and mm -hmm. he's joined our ranks. And being able to share with him those those moments of being human and realizing how that's going to affect his life and how much it's flipped everything up down for him is it's meaningful for me to be there for that and to be able to be vulnerable and show show him some strength and some hope in you know in how his life is about to be flipped upside down well that's kind of where I see you you you're still a caregiver you can take the experiences you've had and what you've learned out of them. And like with your doctor, 
you can help people that are just getting a diagnosis and yet to figure out what to do, you can help them through that. So in that sense, you're still a caregiver, right? Definitely. And, and it's finding, like I said, just caregiving in those, in those smaller opportunities and in those smaller moments, uh, the the simple things that we can take care of each other just as a society, as humans, to just show compassion for others and show care for others is what what changes your own life. It's what changes my life. It's what makes my life worth living and it makes it worth fighting on is being able to still help others. Maybe it's not, you know, lights and sirens on an ambulance anymore. But even when I was on the line, you know, the, the reality is is that we, we don't really save lives, that eventually everyone's going to pass. But it's what can you do in somebody's worst times, in their worst moments, to make it just a little bit better? That's what makes us and human. Sometimes, sometimes it's not that big call. And I can tell you from being a patient that some of the times that I most needed somebody to be a caregiver for me, it wasn't even what they could necessarily medically do for me. But it was their compassion in that time that I was worn down and wore out and was having to go to the ER one more time in the middle of the night to resolve whatever issue was urgent enough that it, you know, that it couldn't wait. And to have those caregivers that were compassionate enough to treat me as a human, not just another patient on the board. And I think it's important as EMS workers and first responders and doctors that that we step back for a moment and realize that even if it's not the worst thing that we've treated, or even if we can't do anything to treat it in the moment, that we can still treat that person as a human and we can still make things a little bit better. And Joe, as an ER doc, I'm sure you appreciate that perspective. Absolutely, I do. And, you know, we see cases of burnout and, and stuff like that in the healthcare rank and file, and, and that's a shame because, like Cody said, that's what the patients, the patients need compassion almost as much or even more than they need their injuries fixed. Right, Jamie? I, I agree completely. Um, and, and I would say that, you know, I... I I think, Joe, you know, you would agree that that part of our our necessary training for for doing the jobs we do and staying up to date with the current best practices, um, we always need to incorporate a, a moment to remind ourselves to be with the patient in the moment and and recognize that that human touch between two individuals can go a long way sometimes beyond what our medical impact can be. 
I completely agree with that, Jamie. Beautifully said. Um, Joe, you know, with I know, just quickly, want to just thank Paragon Medical Education Group for for sponsoring the podcast, and continuing to bring us the show. Um, real quick, where can folks find out where they can um, get some of the specific uh, customized training and things that you provide for folks uh, in the disaster field? Uh, they can find us on the web at Paragon Medical Group or uh, through our Facebook page as Paragon Medical Group. And also through the Disaster Podcast or the Disaster Podcast Facebook page. Excellent. And, Cody, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight to share your story. Um, you know, the, the, the courage to speak up candidly and openly about your situation is inspiring. And by the way, guys, this is her first podcast. <laughs> you did great. Oh, well done. <laughs> I would not have known that. Hopefully one of many. I hope so, too. We want, would love to have you back. Sam, where can folks find you? Well, you can find me in, on social media under Sam Bradley or Sam Bradley 11, certainly in our disaster podcast uh, Facebook group, which I hope we can get Cody to join, and uh, disasterpodcast.com. How about you, Jamie? You can find me under the handle PodMedic in most social media locations out there. So please friend or follow me or otherwise catch up with me there. And, um, you know, especially over at DisasterPodcast.com where there are links to to subscribe to the show uh, so you don't miss any of the upcoming episodes. And we we, uh, this is just another indication of how many great topics we have yet to cover on the show. And I'm so glad Sam was able to connect us with Cody tonight. And so am I. And we will have you back, my dear. Right, you're you're very inspiring. 